we're uh, going to be mm-hmm. ready yeah. in just a minute here. <clears throat> so where is the Christ in Christmas? That's what we're going to be talking about today on Tomorrow's World Now. We've got our guests here, Mr. Rod McNair, he's the Assistant Director of Church Administration, and Mr. Dexter Wakefield, he's the Business Manager for the Living Church of God. We're going to be talking about where is the Christ in Christmas. I've heard so many times, and I I know you gentlemen probably have, that uh, Christmas has become so commercialized, it's become, uh, we've lost the real meaning of Christmas and and that type of thing. That's uh, some of the things we'll be talking about today. Um... You know, most Americans keep Christmas. Uh, Really, most uh, in the Living Church of God used to keep Christmas. Really, we did. Mr. Uh, Wakefield, I know we were talking, you you kept Christmas before you learned uh, some of these things. Uh, Mr. McNair, you... Never kept Christmas? Never, never did. Okay, I kept Christmas when I was... uh, two, three, four, five years old. I remember, I have a few memories of that. You know, there's a lot of memories that go with that, a lot of family time that's spent together and uh, a lot of sincerity there. But we're going to be talking about where is the Christ in Christmas. And I'll tell you, if uh, please like us, please share on Facebook or YouTube or whatever you're watching on. That is your part to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. Like or share us, and boy, we really appreciate that. That helps get this very message that you love. It helps get this message out. So again, we've heard so many times that Christ is lost in with all the commercialization that's out there. Can people put Christ back into Christmas? Is that possible? And was Christ was Christ in Christmas ever? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> if I've ever heard, but we were talking a little bit earlier about um, how President Obama uh, had tried to take Christ out of Christmas. It was taking the Christian aspect out of Christmas and just leaving up the few of the other uh, things there. And now we have President Trump trying to uh, put Christ back into Christmas. Well, if they take Christ out of Christmas, and it began as a pagan holiday, then all you're left with is the pagan holiday. Right. I mean, much of it is, is borrowed from paganism, a syncretism that took place um, back in the early uh, centuries of the, of the Roman church. So uh, it's very easy to show, and I think it's widely known, that Christ was never really there in the beginning. It's a Christianized pagan holiday. Well, I'll tell you, I do. I want to read the definition of, of pagan uh, for our viewers, just to have some context and have a, a good idea of what that means. Just uh, Googled it, basically, and, and came up with this. Uh, heathen, especially a follower of polytheistic religion, as in ancient Rome, which we'll, we'll see that a lot of, this, a lot of these uh, beliefs came from, uh, another definition, one who has little or no religion, who delights in sensual pleasures and material goods, an irreligious or uh, irreligious or hedonistic person. And then we think there's also the like, kind of neo-paganism uh, type thing, witches, druids, goddess worshipers, and so forth, that, that type of thing. Just, just false gods and, and looking into that. Um, Mr. McNair, you were going to say something. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, as, as Mr. Wakefield was mentioning, that um, it's actually fairly widely known that uh, Christmas it has pre-Christian roots. Right, that's not new, right. It's yeah. not even news. Uh, every time the year this, uh, the Christmas season rolls around, 
Uh, you don't even have to look in the encyclopedia anymore. Right. It's in the newspaper. newspaper. Yeah. There are there are Yahoo articles, uh, Huffington Post, <laughs> whatever, and um, it's so out there. And and really, what is striking is there usually is a sentence uh, in the last paragraph that after all of these arguments have been made, after all of the ex explanation about uh, where it really came from, there's somewhere at the very end that says, well, it doesn't really matter. Mm. And that, to me, is the most alarming thing, that, mm. that a lot of people know this, but somehow have been sort of lulled to sleep right. that it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, and we'll get into some of that and where it came from. That'll be our, our next topic that we'll be getting into. Before we go there, though, I wanted to ask Mr. Wakefield, uh, you've written a couple of articles uh, for the Tomorrow's World magazine about the economics of Christmas and, it, it, you know, the idea of is Christ in there, economics. <laughs> <laughs> well, just go across the street to the mall and you'll figure that out pretty quickly. Uh, a lot of our modern uh, Christmas celebration is really economics-driven. Uh, Christmas creep, and that's what the uh, uh, retailers call it, when the uh, Christmas starts earlier and earlier and earlier every year. Have you ever noticed that? Mm -hmm. First it was Thanksgiving, and now it's coming around uh, Halloween time, and then even right. before that. Fourth of July. Fourth, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, the, the Easter Money and Santa Claus are going to be competing for your Christmas dollars. Well, uh, it's, uh, uh, they, they do that so that they can have a greater access to the, the money. The longer the period of time they have their sales on, the more money they can get. But the problem is people go out, they buy, they run up their credit card balances. I've just had a little research that 24% of millennials, younger people, haven't paid off last year's Christmas debt right, now. Right. now. And uh, it runs to 14% of the overall population. So if you're in the um, credit uh, uh, repair business, this is the season for joy for you, for sure, because that's where a lot of the problems come from. And why do they call the Friday after Thanksgiving Black Friday? Hmm. Because, well, what, go ahead. Nope. <laughs> well, it's, it's called Vendredi uh, 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 Noir in France. Mm -hmm. I mean, all over the world, that's the break-even point for retailers. Mm -hmm. uh, they run red ink all the way up to that time, and then supposedly after that time between then and Christmas is their Christmas sales when they actually make their money. So uh, apparently much of the economy depends on it. You know, which is a, a big part of why we're having this discussion today, hmm. to just help hopefully uh, some of our viewers to, to be thinking about these issues right. and about how we are a part of if we follow the customs of the community around us, we're just part of a big machine. Sure. And we're just being manipulated by it. Manipulated by, by these and, businesses and so forth, yeah. Absolutely. And are we just going to go along, uh, you know, be following the marketing mm -hmm. ploy and uh, just following uh, really like, like sheep or, or is there a bigger picture? And um, that, that there, there is a big picture and there's, there's actually something better right. that God has to offer, and that's why he, he talks about it in his word. Yeah. Just want to um, mention there's an article in the Tomorrow's World, I think it's this time of the year, November, December of 2015, on the economic effects of Christmas. I want to point out it is a well-written article. It is an extremely well-written article. You wrote it. Who, me? Extremely well-written article. And it goes into guess. some of these matters in a little more detail. <laughs> right. That's, so keep an eye out for that. And also, um, 
This booklet here, uh, Mr. Wakefield, you had a big part in writing this booklet here as well. That's the Christmas, Is Christmas Christian booklet, where we'll get into a little bit. I have a quote from that later that I want to read. Um, so is it, so the answer, is it possible to put Christ back into Christmas? Impossible, because <laughs> Impossible. he was never there before. That's right. And it's interesting, too, that I think originally you, you mentioned the, the statistic of how many Americans, how many, how many uh, mainstream Christians keep uh, uh, Christmas, mm-hmm. how many Americans keep Christmas. Mm-hmm. I think that even the statistic of how many non-Christian, non-mainstream Christian Americans keep Christmas, right. it's like 8 out of 10. Mm-hmm. And so something like that. It's like 80%. So what does that say about it? Right. It's, well, it's universal. There's a Turkish Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Believe it or mm-hmm. not, there's a Turkish version of Santa Claus. Christmas Even occurs. amongst some Muslims. Yeah. Right. Yes. It's, it's amazing. Many cultures have some version right. of Santa Claus. Uh, it occurs at the time of the winter solstice, and all over the world, cultures pagan cultures have observed that particular time. It's a very important season of the year. So you, you're going to have some version of this almost everywhere in the world because it occurs at the winter solstice, which is the rebirth of the sun god right. in so many pagan cultures. Which you have just uh, brought in our second topic, and that is from paganism to Christian. Where did it come from? Where did Christmas come from, and why is it celebrated now? So, I mean, can we put Christ back into Christmas? Well, well, no, not it can't be done because it was he was never theirs. We'll we'll see that as we get into this. But uh, from paganism to Christian, and where what are the roots? What are some of the roots? Uh, get into that. Uh, tell us about some of the roots of Christmas. Well, basically, <clears throat> just uh, a, a quick scan is that. Uh, you, you don't find it in the Bible. Hmm. You don't find the uh, the apostles keeping Christmas. Well, you find the birth of Jesus. You do Bible. find the birth of Jesus, but interestingly, you find the uh, the the so the magi, the so-called wise men, coming not Three. when he was born. I'm just kidding. <laughs> not when he was born, but when he was actually in a house, and when he could have been even up to two years old. Right, so, right. so the whole message, the whole story, is skewed. And but we only find uh, Christmas itself being kept hundreds of years later. Mm-hmm. I think as we were talking about earlier, uh, it wasn't until around three uh, three fifty Pope mm-hmm. Julius right. who declared December twenty fifth as three hundred uh, years after. Right, uh, right, and, Christ and was born, yeah. there was there was a lot of dis- disagreement about when Christ was born before that. Right. So how mm-hmm. did they come up with that date? Well, clearly, it, it also uh, at that time they were keeping uh, the uh, another a pagan uh, uh, pre-Christian day at that time. So, had no relation to apostolic Christianity at all. Right. right. We can, you know, we could go through a lot of quotes on this, but I'll just summarize uh, one or two of them, and that is that um, it's generally agreed by scholars in secular history that when they were trying the the new. Christian faith or Christendom back in the three, four, five hundreds were trying to uh, convert the pagans. Mm-hmm. They found it a whole lot easier if they simply transferred Christian meanings to what they were already doing. Right, didn't make them right. stop keeping their pagan rituals. Kep- they kept on right. doing what they were all already doing. Mm-hmm. They put a Christian veneer 
right. over some of these things and then uh, made it a whole lot easier for them to come in and convert. Mm. And that was the main vehicle that they used. Right. And all of that really has, has remained today, but it brings up some really big questions. And why is that wrong? Why can't we? Why can't we just put a Christian veneer on it and honor Christ from it? I thought you. Sorry, would, I took. Your, I thought <laughs> you. Yeah, I thought you right. would never ask. That is absolutely right. I thought you would never ask. My Tell me. Ask me that question. Well, uh, just to, to to try not to go into it too much, but the, it comes down to the basic theological question: Is can you Christianize something that is pagan, or can you right. sanctify the pagan? Right. That's a question. That is a theological question. Let me just read you what um, one famous theologian said, Cardinal Newman, a um, highly respected um, Catholic theologian. Um, just read some excerpts of quotes here. We're told in various ways by Eusebius, who was a, a, um, a first, century, uh, first and second century writer there, an early church historian, I should say, that mm -hmm. Constantine, in order to recommend the new religion to the heathen, transferred to it, the outward ornaments of what they were already doing. And just to skip down here, all are of pagan origin and sanctified by their adoption by the church. Sanctified by the pagan. This goes to the root of the question. Can you take a pagan practice and sanctify it, literally make it holy or acceptable for Christian observance? And we say no. No. And your Bible says no. Right. Your Bible right. says no. How well, well, go ahead. Go ahead. Just, just one more point. In, in Orthodox Christianity, the uh, tradition of the church is right. one thing, and the authority of the Pope is another thing. Those all, both of them come ahead Trump of the Scripture. The Scripture, yes, in their view, they, yes. They, they come ahead of it. So, uh, but because the Bible says absolutely you may not do that. Right. Perhaps you'd like to read the Scripture. Right, okay, well, at least one place that I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, Deuteronomy 12, we've read it before on this show. Um, uh, I think it's just pertinent. It goes back to, to so much that we do talk about. Deuteronomy 12, verse 30 through 32, it says, Take heed to yourselves. This is when the Israelites came in uh, to the Promised Land. They were taking over the Promised Land. And here's what God says, Take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they have destroyed them before you, and that uh, you do not inquire after their gods. You don't ask about their gods, asking, How did these nations serve their gods? I'm going to do the same thing. That's exactly what God says. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abomination the Lord uh, to the Lord which He hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn, uh, they, they do these different pagan practices. Um, and it says, "Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it or take from it." And exactly the opposite. Of, of what you just were talking about. Mm -hmm. Right. And also God says that he does not change. Right. Mm -hmm. he, the he, same yesterday, a, today, and forever. And that is Christ. And also says the same thing about Yahweh, who is the same individual in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So um, I think we have, well, absolutely rock solid uh, ground scripturally for rejecting it, but also pursuing God's holy days as well. Right. Observing those. You know, and if we, as you're saying... God is consistent. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you go down through the stream of time, what about 800 years after that was that was that occurred? What mm -hmm. you were reading, 
Then we read of Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, uh, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 1. Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Same, same people, uh, hundreds of years later. Is it consistent? Yes. yes. Thus says the Lord, do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Don't learn and don't, don't worship me in the way that they worship their gods. And I, mean, I think the uh, King James says heathens. The heathen. That's right. right. That's right. And then he actually starts talking about um, being dismayed at the signs of the heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them, for the customs of the peoples are futile. And then it talks about cutting a tree in the forest, etc., yeah, setting it, it up. Yeah, and, yeah. He says, uh, for one cuts a tree of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe... They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree. They cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. So what do we see? Now, now whether or not that right. exactly what he was talking about looked like a Christmas right, tree, right. clearly there's a connection to something that was being That's done right. back then, That's right. which we, you know, uh, Christmas traditions give honor and give homage and give a place of honor in the house to a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to mention to somebody who's sort of been there and done that, that if there are uh, people out there listening who uh, were thinking, well, how can I possibly give up uh, Christmas? I mean, I've been doing this since I was a kid, and I'm an adult now. It would be very difficult for me. I mean, I remember uh, what it was like. It was not difficult. Mm. It was not difficult. The once you're convinced of the religious aspects of it, that we should not be sanctifying the pagan, that we should not be uh, doing this practice uh, at this time of year um, in our homes and families, uh, once you're convinced of that and you say, well, how can I let go of the more secular aspects of it? When you think about what you have to do, all of the shopping, all of the misery, all the difficulties, all the problems that come this time of year, once you, once you stop doing it, it's a relief, or it certainly was for me. So when people are wondering, well, is it possible for me to stop doing it? Oh, yes, mm. it very much is, mm. and uh, a very pleasant thing right. once you have. And we'll, we'll talk, we'll get, about, we'll get into that in, that in our third topic, and uh, before we get there, oh, you had Can something, I go ahead. Can I just yeah. jump in real quick? As you said, when you really understand where, what's behind it, and also when you understand that, that so much of Christmas, as well as Easter, Halloween, all of these holidays are geared toward children, right. are geared toward uh, really being attractive to children. Mm-hmm. And then you read some other things that God says, Jeremiah 17, uh, verse 1, "...the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of a diamond in it, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart, on the horns of your altars." Talking about uh, pagan uh, uh, religious practices that were not God's way. And then it says, while their children remember their altars and their wooden images by the green trees on the high hills. Mm. Even then, those practices were designed in, in the pagan uh, countries were designed to, uh, to allure, to attract the children. Right. And so if we really want to help our children to have a right relationship with God, that's another motivation to to teach them the truth, to don't don't allow these lies to be perpetuated. Sure, um, I had a uh, situation uh, that we were at a museum. This was interesting. It just reminds me about the the, the children and kind of seeing that and coming to the uh, understanding that Santa Claus isn't real. Um, we were at a museum looking at some Norman Rockwell. It was a Norman Rockwell exhibit, 
And you have to kind of, you go to each picture and you kind of analyze it and figure out what it's about and look at the details of it. And we came in front of one of the pictures and there was a, a lady and her young son who were there uh, right in front of us. And we're looking at the picture and clearly it's about Christmas time during, in, in this picture. And there's a little boy and he's kind of, he's facing toward a dresser and uh, he had the dresser drawer pulled out. And out of the dresser drawer was hanging a, uh, something red and white. And, and you could, uh, I was trying to figure out what's happening in here. And you see the boy like this. And it's all <laughs> clicking for him. It's all clicking. This is all in the picture. And I said, oh, I know what he did. And mother took her hands on the boy's ears and they, they booked it out of the way. She did not want her son to hear the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, one of the big disadvantages of, of all of this, and by the way, it was brought out in that Tomorrow's World article, is that once kids, they, and they always do find out mm-hmm. that there's not a Santa Claus and right. that, that it's a myth, but then they make the connection, and a very important connection, that religious matters are based on myths. Myths, that's right. That's one of right. the first mm-hmm. things they learn from this whole yeah. Santa Claus myth. If you're serious about having your child have a strong, fundamental belief mm-hmm. in the Bible, in Jesus Christ, and what God has to say. That's not a good foundation. You're, you're, you're teaching them the wrong foundation right. from that. Uh, I want right. to read, this is a quote from the is, uh, Christmas Christian booklet here, and just really poignant uh, point here about a young child who's identifying and learning for the first time that Christmas isn't real. Uh, this is, comes from Psychology Today, and I'll quote it from Psychology Today. And it says, for example, talking about the, the examples of kids finding out, one boy defended Santa's existence in front of his whole class on the mere basis that his mother would not lie to him, only to read the encyclopedia entry on Santa in front of the whole class and simultaneously discover that she indeed would. I mean, that's powerful. That is, that's really something. And that, that's, uh, you know, and it goes on to say that, hey, look, it, it may not happen with everyone. It's not going to make everyone an atheist, um, but it, it's still something, you know, that causes, uh, it continues. You know, it, it yeah. causes the kids to ask, is Jesus real? Right, right. Is, are, are the angels that told Mary that she was pregnant real? Are, that, is all of this stuff real? Yeah. Is the God's word real? What they're, what they're doing is introducing at a very early level a fundamental idea into a child's thinking that religion is based on a myth. Mm-hmm. And they start thinking that very early becomes part of their early thinking. It's, it's simply not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, right. Uh, go ahead. And, and you know, what, what they're also doing is transposing this mythical figure for God. Mm-hmm. And we can see that in a number of ways. You know, the, the Bible talks about how, how God it resides at the sides of the north. Well, where does Santa Claus come from? Right. From the North Pole. Mm-hmm. We talk about, uh, you know, that God knows. God is, is omniscient. He, he, he knows what we're thinking. Christ knew what people were thinking when he was on earth. And guess what? Who knows if you've been naughty or nice? Right. It's Santa Claus. Right. Who flies through the air, through the galaxy at supernatural speeds? Hmm. Have you ever heard of the actual physics behind if Santa Claus right, could, yeah. could go and visit every child in, in the world? It's 
pretty amazing. But who can do that at supernatural speeds? Well, only God can. Right. So it really is transposing Santa Claus for God. And there's a there's a I think an interesting uh, quote that I found in in a book Christmas Watching, and this was from an author who was not trying to debunk Christmas at all. He was just being very open about the origins. But there's a really fascinating, speaking of children, uh, statement that he makes. He talks about how Santa Claus began uh, life as Nicholas, a saintly bishop in the ancient coastal city of Myra in what is now southwest Turkey, etc. And then he go- talks about how the, the traditions you know, built on each other and finally... Um, Finally, uh, the birth of Santa Claus as the Christmas gift giver uh, came about. And then the, the last statement, much to the disgust of the more pious clergy, Santa, now get this, eventually became more popular than Jesus wow. with modern children. And so as you're saying, not only do they, does it make Jesus Christ and God look like a myth, but it also makes Santa Claus more popular than Jesus Christ, who is their Savior, right. who is who is the one who died for them, and the one who gave his life for them, and the one who's given us a chance to be in his kingdom forever. And that's really powerful when you think of all these things put together. If you're just uh, joining us, we're, uh, we're looking at the question, where is the Christ in Christmas? And we're talking about that. Is Christmas Christian at all? And uh, we, we've talked about that. We're moving on to our next topic right now, and that is if you want to stop keeping Christmas, if somebody wants to stop keeping Christmas, what do you do? Uh, in fact, uh, we have a question uh, from uh, one of our uh, viewers. How would it benefit my life if I stopped keeping Christmas? Will I be blessed or will I be cursed uh, if I do keep Christmas? Uh, what can we do? I mean, like you said, uh, Mr. Wakefield, you had to identify that, hey, this is not what God says. It's not what God says. And I've heard so many times it's difficult for people to stop it. You know, they, they're with their family, it's, it's very difficult, that time with the family, the standing up to a certain degree to say, I just can't do it. It's not right. It's not biblical. It's not what God commands us to do. Um, what do you say? What do you say to that? Well, it, certainly it can be difficult in a family situation uh, for an individual to do it. I've, uh, I personally never, never miss doing it. But if you have a family that's used to doing it and you're the only one that's doing it, then it, it can be tricky to do it. But there's an old saying that if you uh, uh, want to... Uh, get all of the, the air out of a bottle, just fill it with water. Mm-hmm. You've got to put something in its place. You've got to put something back in its place when you do that. And one of the things that my, well, all of my kids grew up the entire, the entire lives keeping God's holy days, and they loved them, they enjoyed them, they never missed um, Christmas or any of the, the other things. They knew their other friends were doing it. They really didn't care. They were kind of glad they didn't have to go through it. a lot of the things that they were going through around that time of the year. So uh, particularly the Feast of Tabernacles, kids love it. And they prepare right. for it. They get yeah. ready for it all year. They're excited when it, when it comes. So it's, uh, the, God already has a plan that's set out, a master plan set out in his holy days. And mm-hmm. uh, I would advise our viewers to read the booklet. Um, I got it right here. 
mm-hmm. God's uh, master plan in his holy days. Read that. It explains it very well. And once you start doing that, then Christ is in it. He's the right. most important part of Passover and the days of unleavened bread. We focus completely on him. And then the giving of his Holy Spirit mm-hmm. at the days of Pentecost. And then Christ's dramatic return in the fall time around the, uh, the, uh, the Feast of Trumpets. And the kingdom of God is represented by uh, the Feast of Tabernacles and so forth. These are religious lessons that are religion, that mm-hmm. we are living. God has us act these things out. And our kids act them out, and they become part of, it, part of their thinking for the rest of their lives. That's right. right. Yeah. You, you know, I think one of the things, as you're talking about, that is uh, for those who it is hard to, to break away, it may be that the, maybe, maybe the, uh, sometimes the religious part of it is not a big deal, but maybe it's just the family time, it's the connections, and they, they miss that. And um, and that is what what makes Christmas Christmas for them. You know, it's it's pe- chance for people to get together. But what we would encourage our, as you said, our viewers to think about is <coughs> is what does God have in place of it? Mm-hmm. He has holy days, but they're not just holy days. They are they really were designed to be. They're called feast days. Mm-hmm. They are called feast days. They're designed to be times when. Families get together, communities get together, and uh, enjoy each other's company, and even eat, you know, fantastic food. Deuteronomy chapter fourteen talks about about the the fall feast days when you were in the time when you brought in your grain, your new wine, your oil, the firstborn of your herds and your flocks, and then it talks about going to one place. The whole community would go together uh, to one place, and then it says. Uh, you shall spend uh, the money that you've you've set aside for going to that uh, at that time for whatever your heart desires for oxen or sheep or wine or similar drink for whatever your heart desires you shall eat that before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice. What an amazing commandment! Right. That God says, look, this is going to be a time of feasting. This is going to be a family time. The kids are going to love it. You're going to be take it later on. It talks about taking care of the strangers and the widows. Include them. It's a fantastic family time. Sure, that you know, and that's uh, Deuteronomy whatever fourteen or so, and that that's a couple chapters after the Deuteronomy twelve, where he says, "Whatever you do, don't do what the pagans and the heathens do. Don't do that." And do what I'm telling you to do. That's what he tells us right there. You mean I've right. got to rejoice? Rejo- it's, it's a somebody's going to make right. me yeah. rejoice. You're commanded. I'm to. commanded to do that. Sure, <laughs> boy, rough, boy. <laughs> and you know, one one thing that does come to my mind is uh, Philippians four. You know, for for our viewers that uh, have that know that something's wrong with Christmas, that know that that it doesn't represent what it says it represents, and that want something more, that want to move on something more. I think about Philippians 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It, that's how we do it. We can't just, oftentimes, we can't just make the decision of and by ourselves. We need God's help, God's strength with that. It can't be done mm-hmm. by ourselves. Right. It needs His help, and, and it, it requires repentance, changing, seeing what's wrong, right. identifying it, and then, and then making the change. Right. That's what it requires. And it's a leap of faith. Sure, you know, there, that's right. There has to be, and, and Christ does it in us. Christ helps us to have the faith, but but we have to put forth our will to obey Him. 
he says in other places, like in Luke 14, that, you know, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Did he mean that you're, you're supposed to literally hate your family? Clearly he didn't mean right. that. But by, by comparison, he's saying you've got to put me first. Even if it sometimes does cause pain in relationships, you know, if we really want to be a disciple of Christ, it's not just falling off a log easy. It's not come as you are. We've, we've got to take a step, and he will respond. He will give us the strength and power to do so. But, uh, but we really do have to step out and step out in faith. You know, the depth of, of Christmas and so forth, the depth of meaning about Christ and, and so forth, very, very shallow. And even what's there is man projecting that onto it, you know, the, these, these customs. And, but God's holy days, though, the depth is incredible. The depth is it's deep and full of meaning, full mm, of meaning right. about Jesus Christ. <laughs> right, right. Very, very powerful. You know, I've, I've been studying the Holy Days. We all have. We've all have studied the Holy Days our whole lives. I still haven't gotten to the bottom of them. Right, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm I, thinking we can never the, in this they're, life. They're meaning for, for Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, it's a remarkable thing, but until you engage it, you won't know. That's right. Uh, right. Good understanding have all they who do his commandments or yes. do his holy days. And uh, one other thing I think about, about the truth and what the apostles taught, what Jesus Christ taught, um, Jude in Jude 1 and verse 3, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints, the truth, not what was brought on 350 years later, not what was brought on year after year and it morphed over time and now we have some you know, weird thing. It's the truth that's sound and good and right. You must earnestly contend for it. Yeah, that's right. Earnestly contend. It's not easy, especially in today's society. That's right. Right. Well, we've been talking about, uh, is Christmas Christian? We've been talking about, we've been asking the question and answering the question, where is the Christ in Christmas? We thank you so much for being here, for watching us, for being a part of this. We thank you so much for liking and sharing this. And again, if you haven't already, please do. That is a part of getting this message out, the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God and the truth of God's word out by sharing and liking. We thank you so much for being a part of it. Uh, Gentlemen, we appreciate you all being here, and uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. We thank you so much. Thanks for being with us.